Okay. How you doing, Summer? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing really well. I'm coming off a lot of eating over the holiday weekend, um, Easter weekend, which for my family is a lot of food, a big deal, and I always feel terrible after it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what you did mm-hmm. this weekend. Similar? Yeah, same. Went to my brother-in-law's house uh, every year. We're responsible for desserts because I don't cook. And so I just, like, pick up a whole bunch of pies and cookies and cupcakes from all around the city. So you also don't bake. Right. I don't <laughs> bake either. Uh, yeah. And then just go in a sugar coma the whole evening. Did Did you eat mostly desserts and not as much food? Yeah, mostly. Really? Mostly. I mean, like, there's all the, all you know, all those food, all the food is there, but I'm a kind of a sugar, sugar mm, addiction. Sweet tooth. So, yeah, yeah. Have you ever stepped away from eating sugar to see if that sweet tooth is really all in here? Like, oh, like a it's month or so? totally, yeah, it's totally all in there. It makes me so mad to, like, step away from sugar. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and I'm also, like, trying to, like, limit coffee. Mm-hmm. As we drink it. <laughs> As we drink it. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. I've been told, like, um, you know, you really should, you have acid reflex summer. You usually should, like, try just only having, like, one cup of coffee a day. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, how big is the cup? Yeah, that's a good question. How big is the cup? Some people do eight. 12, the, the pour over method I do is 14.1 ounces, 25 grams. Yeah. I used to do two, one at 7 a.m. and one at noon. And I stopped doing two a week ago. <laughs> so that's my, but then I, I, that's why I only poured myself a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think it might have been leading to a little bit too much of uh, anxiety. It's, it's kind of a common side effect of too much caffeine, mm-hmm. is too much anxiety. Also, price, I buy really the best beans there are. So it's kind of expensive to have two of these every day over and over and over again. And I wanted to break like a habit where I thought like I needed to do this to get by. Because mm. I didn't drink like two cups a day until the last two years. I'm 32. So I was fine the first 30 years. I think it's in my head that I need to do this. Yeah. yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I definitely will have like sometimes six, seven cups a day. Like I what? have like an automatic espresso machine like i guess they call it super automatic espresso mm-hmm. and so you just push a button and it just grinds the beans and it just oh boy. makes an americano dangerous. very dangerous so especially working from home you know you just walk downstairs make yourself yeah that's the pain of working from home i work from home half of my job you're in it right now and it's really great but then those things like certain foods or snacks or coffee like i have to keep everything on my house i've no snacks here, mm. no ice cream, nothing. If I want that, I have to go buy it, which makes it more intentional, which makes it happen less often, which I like. But sometimes, you know, you're having fun with some friends and you just want your snack. Yeah. And it's that or <laughs> You're depriving yourself of too much. It's, yeah, I don't know if it's healthy. I mean, technically it's healthy physically for you, but I don't know if it's healthy to do that, but whatever. It works for me. But seven, you said six to seven cups a day. Yeah, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm lowering that. Uh, yeah, I think that's definitely, you know, I didn't even drink coffee until I was around 23, 24. Mm. I, before that, I was like, oh, I hate coffee. But the reality of it, I never think I even had coffee. I just, you know. The idea of like, it. Yeah, the idea, the smell, like, you know. So I was like, oh, I hate it. And then um, I moved to San Francisco and went and got um, coffee, went to get coffee with a really cool coworker of mine that mm-hmm. I just like really looked up to. And so she's like, let's grab co- coffee. And I was like, yeah, okay, let's grab coffee. <laughs> and then we go to um, this amazing uh, Sight Glass. 
which is like an incredible coffee company in San Francisco. So we go here and she's like, okay, I'm going to get Americano. What do you want? I'm like, I'll take whatever you're getting. Having no idea what an Americano was. So, you know, pretty, pretty, uh, I'd say authentic form of coffee. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just like trying to drink it. Because I don't want to seem like a loser because, you know, I don't want to seem like I don't like coffee. Mm-hmm. And then that was like just my entryway into coffee and I became obsessed. And now I only drink like Americanos or just like drip coffee. Like mm. I'm very much a purist and I drink so much coffee and everyone's like, oh my God, I can't believe you can drink it black. And, and the reality of it is, is that I haven't had any other way. I just ordered what someone I thought was much cooler than me ordered mm-hmm. and stuck with it. <laughs> well, I mean, she... Wasn't wrong. And right. I don't think you're wrong either. I know these things are preferences, but I, I try to reverse engineer all things Americans do from the food we eat to the drinks we drink. And it's, I think there's no wrong way in the, in the grand scheme of the cosmos. I'm, you know, I'm not going to blame someone for wanting cream and sugar, but when you do get freshly um, roasted beans that were sourced properly in a really nice area, the right climate, the right um, altitude, um, and it from a good farm brought here, freshly roasted by someone who knows what they're doing with a good machine. You buy them freshly packaged from like a local place or single origin. You grind them yourselves, you measure them out, you do all the math and the chemistry. Yes, it, it is quite literally the best cup of coffee mm-hmm. on planet earth mm-hmm. in your own kitchen. I know it sounds ridiculous, but it is. And it's the same reason why people like really nice, you know, beers or a nice bottle of scotch or yeah. wine or a tobacco from a cigar or even people who are obsessed with like the best marijuana. You can mm-hmm. grow it in your backyard and it'll be called air quotes, you know, ditch weed. Or you can buy like this crazy stuff that people make almost in a controlled lab that's got way higher THC, it's way more pure. The spectrum goes across for every item there is. Even glass blowing, mm-hmm. a microphone design, mm-hmm. headphone design, fashion we wear. It's so I think if you're into something, it behooves you to go down that wormhole for the I think it's for the better good of why we even enjoy living yeah. just it's the finer things in life yeah and it's so simple as a cup of coffee it's just a couple of dollars all the way up to a really nice laptop that you can now work on that's a workhorse and you spec it out like it's just all over the place but with coffee people drink it so often that I think they feel that the Maxwell and the Folgers are what coffee should taste like. Right. But it's only because that's what that's what's pushed on commercials. They have the most money, so they push the most in places that people would see it. And it's been normalized. But I think the third wave movement is catching on more. I see more people buying nicer beans at, at stores. Mm-hmm. Target has more options now. Mm-hmm. Um, Whole Foods has more options now than they ever did. You can see 10, 12 different bags at these places now. Yeah. The only thing they're falling short on is the roast date because it's harder for them to get them fresh. Yeah. That's the only thing. But other than that, they have great quality beans. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, rarely go to Whole Foods because it's nowhere near where I live. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's in the ritzy areas of the city. And you live in Humboldt Park? Yeah. I live in Humboldt Park. So I was downtown at some point recently and I went to Whole Foods and I saw the coffee section and I'm like, this, this is new, right? This Mm -hmm. is new that they have like every Chicago brand mm-hmm. and I'm just loading up my cart, which makes no sense because then, you know, by the time I get to it, it, it was probably roasted two months ago. Yeah. That's why I don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I made that mistake. <laughs> two but, bags. You yeah. get two bags. Yeah. 
you get a little too excited. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I almost did that this weekend when I saw fresh coffee at this local spot, Light Rail, where my parents live in Warsaw, Indiana. And I was like, oh, I should buy this. But then I was like, wait a minute. This is, they roast it here. It's always roast. I'll get it next time I'm here. Right now I have three bags at home. Mm-hmm. It'll, by the time I get to it, it'll be a month old. And the fresh, the fresher, the better. <laughs> That's why you drink six to seven cups a day. <laughs> <laughs> you can get through them all really quick when yeah, you do exactly. that. Um, I love how we have not talked about who you are and what you do yet. It's I don't just, even know who I am or what I do. So this is great. <laughs> do you want to tell the listeners who you are? Yeah. Maybe what you do, what you yeah. do in life? Yeah. What do I do? Well, um, I'm Summer Lambert. That's my name. I live in Humboldt Park in Chicago. I am by trade. I'm a marketer. I have about a decade of experience um, doing marketing and also advertising. So I've worked in advertising agencies, both uh, very large and small. And I've worked uh, as a marketer across many sectors, and you know, CPG uh, world, so like packaged goods, um, yeah, business to consumer brands. Um, but most recently, I've spent the past five years, five or so years in the space I never really imagined I'd ever be in. It's just like B2B software, um, which is, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's, what it's, is that? Yeah, okay, <laughs> so that business to business software, uh, I work in SaaS. I was like, recently at IBM selling software that I didn't quite ever understand, but um, I realized something um, in this like B2B SaaS space that I never thought I would be in is that it's like the least toxic environment hmm. uh, in marketing and like this world. Like everyone wants to work for these amazing ad agencies that, that produce like all this great work and um, – or maybe like I've worked in fashion and beauty, um, you know, in marketing and like all these like really exciting areas, uh, cannabis as well. I've worked in California cannabis and Illinois cannabis um, for a while, but um, there's something so chill about working in software. Like no one thinks they're trying to save the world. No one, like I don't know. It just it's a lot more relaxed. And you said not as toxic. Can you yeah. elaborate what you mean by that? Well, I once worked at like I'm not going to name names, but one of the largest international ad agencies. Sterling in the world. Cooper. Basically, imagine modern day Sterling Cooper. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. Basically. It was it, so it was like really intense. Yeah, I mean, it was really intense. I was hired on like um, as a strategist and like a brand strategist. So you know, I'm I'm pretty much like one of the first people to really touch a project. You know, I speak with clients, figuring out what it is that they need, um, and then I kind of translate that into the creative team. So I'm telling, I'm writing briefs, explaining, you know, this is, this is what, you know, the client wants, and then I'll do research on just like, you know, what's going on in, in the world, like some, you know, it's a lot of research, consumer insights. It's, I mean, I love that part. That's really fascinating to me is like just figuring out like how to get into, like how to understand what's going on in the world, and why why you know this product may be relevant and how how to make it relevant and how to make it timely and so that's part is like all very fascinating but um at the end of the day like no one really cares about the data no one really cares about the research you did you hand it off and they go "Ah, i don't care i'm going to Mm -hmm. i'm going to create a pink whiskey bottle for women's history month and i'm Mm -hmm. just like don't do that please please and they're like geez summer you're so sensitive how old were you at this time? When you oh, that particular. Okay, so. And was it in Chicago? No, this was the Bay Area. 
Okay. Yeah, I have yet to have a, I've, you know, since living in Chicago, I've just like stuck to like what I know works for me. Mm-hmm. With that whole like software world. So this was like the Bay Area. Like I, it was a lot of, um, you, you know, trying to trying to do your job, but like just feeling like you're not very important and that you're just like a cog and and just like a number. Yeah, yeah. And then I mean, I worked at that very large agency that I've always wanted to work at and I you know, went to grad school and I was like this is like a goal of mine and then I get the job there and you know, you're sitting there and you're in San Francisco and you're being judged for like eating like a meatball sub or something like are you really going to put that in your body like while they're eating their like kale salad with like <laughs> lemon vinaigrette and I'm you like You even have the voice down. Yeah, I you're know. You're almost on that upspeak. You're right. very close to it. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Don't and, get mad at me, by the way, when I jab it. These no, things. no, please I can't, jab. I can't help it. I know too much now. Yeah. But keep enlightening me. I need to know more. Yeah. Tell me more about this. Yeah. I, I, I know. I, I sat next to a girl. I hope she never hears this. I sat next to this girl who I was putting oh, glossier makeup on, which I don't know if you know what that is, but. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not yeah, up to date with yeah. makeup. She's like, are you really putting that on your skin? Do you know what kind of toxins are in that? It's like, that's going to give you cancer. Did you ask her if she was really breathing in the air from San Francisco? I know. I'm like, come on. <laughs> like, do you know that you are, yeah, in downtown San Francisco, yeah. like one of the most polluted cities? In the, yeah, come on, really? Uh, I know. So I just eventually like, was like I don't want to be here anymore. I, I, It's the people. It's not me. It's you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> you rarely hear that in a breakup. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was a breakup with advertising in general. And um, How I long s- did you work in advertising? From the age of 22, 23 until 20, almost 7, 20, so yeah, like 28. Fi- 20. Five years-ish? Yeah. I think long enough to know like that it's not for you it's not for me like you you go home and you're like crying and like you're i don't know you're just like so stressed what are you crying about like you know getting slack messages at 9 p.m uh slack yeah i don't know what slack messages bless you good for you it's good i really like that for you (laughs) imagine getting like a dm just it's a it's a inter it's a company God, how do you describe Slack? It's a company <laughs> communications platform. Okay. It's SaaS. It's a B2B SaaS <laughs> solution. So it's basically like, it's another way of texting your coworker at 9 p.m. asking them to look at some deck and mm. like get you feedback by 11 p.m. that night. And like, I used to feel like I needed to do that. Like in order to keep my job and in order to do well. And or work your way up. Work my way up, climb the corporate ladder. Oh my God. I needed to do that. And I would be, I remember one day, like, actually responding to messages while I was sitting in the bathtub. Yeah. Yeah. And then my husband was just like, you can't do that. Like, stop. Have a life. Yeah. Yeah. And Separation. So, I know. So you're 27, 8 at this time when you're, yeah. like, really, mm-hmm. well, so let me reverse this. Um, Did you go to school for marketing? I did. And you said graduate school as well? Yeah. I went to undergrad for advertising. And grad school for marketing. Now, I'm going to ask a very deep, <laughs> dark, I'm ready. heavy question. Why on earth advertising? God, you know, that's a great question. Um, it's funny. I So when I was in the eighth grade. The eighth grade. I love the the before the grade. <laughs> yes. A little innocent summer in the eighth grade. Um, 
living in Richmond, Virginia at the time, or a suburb of Richmond, Virginia, and the suburb has all these like specialty center high schools. I'm sure this is common in many places. And they go into the classrooms of these eighth graders, and they hand them brochures of all the high schools in the area, which is great in theory. So like you can choose to be in a program called like Spanish Immersion or the Humanities or um, all these different programs where if you are accepted into the program, that's kind of where all your classes are focused. So you'll take history, you'll take, uh, you know, English, you'll take all those classes, but they all have like a certain angle to them that is like to your specialty. So, you know, you're taking, if you're in the Spanish immersion program, you're taking history, but like you're learning it in Spanish Mm -hmm. language, which Hmm. is incredible. I should have done that. I really should have done that. But of course, I take all my brochures home and show them to my mom and she goes, you know, there's one um, for mass communications. Like, you could be the next Katie Couric. And I was like, who's that? And she's like, my favorite reporter. Like, you should do this one. And so I'm, you know, 14, 13, I don't know, having an absolutely no idea what I want to do with my life. Like, who knows that? But I'm like, okay, I'm going to apply to this one because my mom said I should. And then I got in. And then I ended up going to high school for, like, for advertising. Like, my classes were focused on advertising. Whoa. It was just drilled into my brain from before an age where I should know what I want to do. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. That's so all you've ever known. That's all I've ever known. That's all I've ever thought I wanted to do. So at, so you got out at 28. We can keep going. I just want to yeah, – that's no. half your life. So 14 yeah. to 28, that's all you've ever known was advertising. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's a lot to undo. Yeah, exactly. And it's a lot to really put, you know, your idea of your worth on. Mm-hmm. Like how good am I at this? Um, you know – and I think it is scary because you you go to, you know, I ended up going to college for advertising and in grad school for well, marketing, but it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. And you get to a point where you're like, okay, so I have 120000 in student debt now. Mm-hmm. Well, I had 80000 Just add the interest and yeah. now we're at 120000 Your flickering eyes said it all. I, uh, <laughs> I know. So you step back and you go like, I don't like this. I don't like advertising, yet I put literally my entire life into it since the age of 14. How how dare I say I don't like it? Like, how can I possibly step back and go, like, what else am I going to do? You know, like, Mm -hmm. this is who I am. This is all I've known. Like, how how scary is it to, like, be in your 30s and be like, well, God, what am I going to do, you know? Yeah. You're hitting a nerve. (laughs) Not with me, but with too many people I know and a few people I'm thinking of where it's all their life, it's all they've ever known or the trajectory they've been on. Mm -hmm. Maybe their parents put it before them, maybe a brother or a sister, someone led them to that, someone they look up to and Mm -hmm. respect, and they got started in it maybe at a young age, junior high, high school, it's all they've ever known, college, they were pushed into it got a great job afterwards because there's certain fields like that where you get good jobs and that is the incentive to keep at it because you're paid well. And I'm sure in you said one of the biggest advertising agencies in the world, you were probably paid well. Oh no, they paid me terribly. Really? Yeah. Then why'd you stay? It's the clout really? of working there. Um, it's a gold star in my resume. Um, oh. No one looking at my resume will know that I hated that job other than the fact that I left after like 10 months. <laughs> like, So I, they didn't uh, pay well, but... It was more like the idea, like the the stair step of it. Oh yeah, it's. I mean, it's like working for Google or Apple or 
you know, any yeah, of those companies. But they probably pay really well, though. <sighs> well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My husband used to work at Apple, and yeah, he left that job, just, you know, despite it being like a really, you know, well-paying, great job. And he worked there for, you know, eight or nine years. He finally left. Well, maybe I shouldn't say this out loud. It's not my story. But, you know, it's just like he you. can come on and talk. <laughs> you work for these, like, giant companies that are, like, the jobs everyone wants. And then you get there and you go, like. Oh wow, this is exhausting. Yeah. Or this isn't what I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Or why am I, you know, maybe in my husband's case, why am I working 60, 70 hours a week? Like where is my life? Mm-hmm. Where is my life? Like Yeah. It, you you lose all, all sense of yourself. And that's kind of where like I was with advertising. I just hated it so much and I would be like disappearing during like in the phone booths, like the little sound phone booths that you know offices have mm-hmm. and they're like FaceTiming my therapist and like just putting that I'm like in a meeting with a client, but in reality, oh I'm just like t- asking my therapist how to get through another day. That's so dark. Oh, yeah. To like be at work, this place, air quotes, you love on paper, mm-hmm. and you're hiding away in the middle of on work hours talking to a therapist using the money they pay you to on work hours to pay a person for help. Like that's when you unwind that, you're like, <laughs> I've never heard of that one. Well, but I'm glad you shared it because it says a lot about, well, first of all, you clearly have a better understanding of your life and who you are and what you want now. Uh, yeah. But that says a lot of like what that type of job is doing to you. Like that, that should not happen to people. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that like in my 20s, I did not know anything about myself. I did not know who I am. And I've had like these little inklings of like ideas of like what makes me me and I've always thought that I am like a very strange person in the sense that I've always been very sensitive. Um, I've had, you know, therapists tell me that, oh, you're a highly sensitive person. Um, and that sensitive like- Sensitive in what way? In every way possible. Like, like you'll watch something and cry? Oh yeah. Oh God. I can't watch anything with an animal in it. That's my thing is like animals. Like I, <laughs> I recently went on safari in Kenya. Also went to a coffee farm, so you know. While I was there, you go to coffee. Okay, let me. <laughs> Should I, start I there? thought you said I went on safari while in Kenya. I was like, so you went to Kenya and opened up the safari app? Oh God, that's pretty dorky. <laughs> hey, I'm sensitive. Be nice. Yeah, I went on a safari. Uh, I, in- I went on a safari in Kenya. Which was an incredible experience for me, except there were a couple times while we were, you know, in the Jeep watching all these magnificent animals where I don't know why I didn't think that this would happen because it obviously would happen while watching animals out in the wild. But like I watched some pretty brutal animal on animal action, like like eating, e- like attacking, like, like surviving. Yeah, like trying to survive, an animal trying to survive by eating another animal. And I did not like that. Like I, you know, watched like, you know, a warthog try to escape for its life and I, and from some lions and I watched like a, a hippopotamus get like attacked by some hyenas and, and I could not take it. Like, and I didn't understand why everyone else was so fascinated in watching that, like taking videos of it happening and like, just like, you know, why are we stopping the Jeep? Why are we stopping for this? Like, can we, and there was one point where like, we had just taken this magnificent, like hot air balloon ride. And there was like 16 of us and we all, you know, every, there's about four Jeeps and they all pull over on our way to like launch that to to show us this hippopotamus getting attacked by uh, all these hyenas. 
And I'm just looking around like, why, why are we stopping for this? And I couldn't handle it. And I just put my head down in between my legs and I just start stomping and screaming and saying, let's go, let's go. I don't want to see this. I don't want to see this. And like freaking out, like having a meltdown, having an absolute meltdown. Wow. Why and do you think? I know why now. Can well, I say why? Why? I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. Tell I, me, tell I, me. I why no, do you think I'm doing that? Because you were the hippopotamus. I was the, the corporate hippopotamus. corporate world uh-huh, uh-huh. was a hyenas and you went through that. Hey, that's fair. That's a really good assessment. Um, <laughs> I have no idea. It's actually, I just recently found out after talking to many therapists and actually psychologists and getting like neurological testing done, it turns out I'm autistic. And that, and you know, it's like getting that diagnosis from like, okay, it's like, I'm not getting that diagnosis from TikTok. Everyone on TikTok thinks they're autistic. It's, it's very trendy now, apparently. I'm getting that from an actual like psychological testing by like actual psychologists that like spent hours and days with me and like asked me very many exhausting questions about myself and really diving deep into my history. Like I had to talk to them for hours about like everything that's ever happened to me in my life or every th- way I react to everything. And I start to realize like, I'm, I'm, you know, people saying I'm a very sensitive person, you know, like I once left a job because there was a skylight above my desk and it was too bright for me because I'm light sensitive. And I'm also sound sensitive. Um, and they wouldn't let me, you know, change my desk. Like I had to be there. I tried working from like a dark, um, like couch area because mm-hmm. I just felt more comfortable. Because I also don't like, I don't like having my back exposed. Like I, I need to see who and what is around me at all times. So, I like to be like in a corner, in a dark corner, in a comfy area, dark and and calming. And and I didn't know back then that I was autistic. And I didn't. I just thought. I don't know what I thought about myself. So it was like a whole many, many years in my 20s, like having no idea like why I, I am the way I am, why I can't be like at a music festival or like why, why I can't be like near a parade. Like I can't, you know, loud noises, mm-hmm. like groups of people, why I'm always the first to leave a party, why I don't like talking to people. Oh, no. I mean, <laughs> what are we doing here? <laughs> well, I mean, okay, so I'm really good with one-on-one conversations with people, okay. I feel like. Um, it's group settings that I'm very terrible at where, like, you know, I recently was out. Uh, some friends of ours were moving to the suburbs, and we were having, like, a dinner, and it was a dozen of us, and I'm just sitting there, like, an hour in, just, like, <laughs> looking around and being like, I don't want to be here anymore. Like, it has nothing to do with the people, love the people, but like this, this setting that I'm in, being around a lot of people and many conversations going on and my brain not being able to like zoom in on one conversation and just like listen to it. Like I'm listening to every sound around me and every conversation. And like, I, I don't, I just get really like uncomfortable and really, I don't know, really just like, I just don't want to be around many people. And that's been that way your whole life. Yeah. Apparently. And, you know, I, there's so much in my childhood I feel like I don't remember. I, I don't know if it's because I was moving around a lot as a kid or, like, blocking out the world around me. I don't know. We could dive deep on, like, what childhood trauma could be like. But I, one thing that I think has been always consistent in my life is I've always enjoyed my own company. Um, mm. Like, as a kid, like, I was a very quiet kid. My mom said I never cried as a baby. I didn't really speak to anyone, like, outside my own family until I was, like, seven. 
Um, like I was just very shy. I was called, you know, just shy and sensitive. And I used to get made fun of as a kid a lot by my family being like, oh, she's so sensitive. Like I can't, she's so serious. I can't tell a joke around her. Like I can't make fun of her. I'm like, why are you making fun of me? But yeah, it, it's just like your whole life. Once you get diagnosed with autism, you look back and you do like a really good, like just assessment of your life. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, 30, I'm 31. 31 years of your life and you start to go, oh, I am this way because of that. Like that is why. And it's so amazing, honestly. Hmm. It's an incredible experience to get told why you are the way you are, like having a reason mm-hmm. instead of just wondering like, why am I so strange? Why, why am I so like obsessed with animals? Like why, you know, like they say autistic people have like their thing, like, you know, when an, when a boy gets diagnosed with autism, the people will go, "Oh, well, was he into trains?" It's like, what? Like you know, that's the, that's the joke is that like to be autistic, you must. People don't really understand. I think what, what is autism. it? What does it mean? Because it is a spectrum. Yeah, it's a very much a spectrum. So, um, it, there, it, I am not the expert on the spectrum. More so, I, it is very much what used to be considered like Asperger's mm-hmm. is like kind of one side of the spectrum where I think I would fall um, if I if someone pinpointed me onto the spectrum, onto the line. But even these days, it's considered more, less so of a spectrum, more so of just a, a squiggly – I don't even know how to describe it. Like it's not it's not easy to just like really pinpoint where someone falls, right? Yeah. And And – People used to be like, oh, you're, you know, this person is mildly autistic. And the the joke in the autism community is like, oh, so am I spicy autism? <laughs> See, I have heard it a lot um, from individuals to me. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I have no problem with that. It's the way it's been used, just like it's the way gay has been used. Mm-hmm. When you're, when you grow up and you're a bit strange and different, like I was, I guess still am. And people say, what are you, autistic or gay, but in a negative connotation? Right. It doesn't really feel good. Right. And I heard both of those a lot. Yeah. So not that there's anything wrong with those two things. In fact, there's nothing wrong with them to the point where it would frustrate me that it was used in a negative way in general because yeah. it was applied to other people too who actually are those things and live with it every day. And it's who they are and you can't help it and that's fine. So... When I hear it, I always wonder, like autistic, I always hear that. And because it's used in a negative way, like to make fun of somebody because they're different Mm -hmm. or, you know, they might on a safari have like a borderline panic attack or they're very particular about their vinyl or the coffee or microphones or guitar collection or sound quality. Um, it's, It's almost like because someone's misunderstood, you have to label them in a belittling way mm-hmm. which I don't understand why we do that to this day um, but I'm glad that the convers- like these conversations are happening yeah. and you're even talking about it with something you don't even know which is like it's very helpful for me and it's yeah. healthy for those listening um, but yeah it is complicated because I've heard of people being autistic that are they can't even like socialize mm-hmm. like it's like that. it's like it's hard for mm-hmm. them to socialize I'm trying to think of the right words to use all the way to someone who doesn't know someone shows up at their house and talks about it freely. So, like, I'm in a stranger's basement. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, I don't know. It's 
it's a good thing to talk about. I always just wonder what it means. The label thing, it's helpful for those around you, but when it's all you know, I guess it can be liberating to have someone like a, a doctor, a scientist yeah. tell you, you're probably this and this is why, and they probably show you the information, mm-hmm. how they got that, the data, which is probably nice, but it's just insulting when people just throw these words around yeah. because no. they don't understand you. So they have to be like, well, you're only good at math because you're autistic. It's like, or maybe I'm just good at it because I put in the effort and yeah. I study math for fun. <laughs> Yeah, you know? exactly. People don't understand. I mean, the average neurotypical person does not understand what it means to be autistic. Mm-hmm. And it's, I am thankful that there are like accounts out there in the TikTok, you know, Instagram world of people like talking about what it is to be autistic and educating people. I think that's really important. I think we're hitting like a really interesting point in, in autism acceptance. Mm-hmm. I think there's still a lot of work to do, um, but it is it is really sad, and it's actually to a point where like I haven't technically even told like my family yet like that I got it because like oh really yeah so well, you're telling me okay, <laughs> okay mom okay mom if you're listening <laughs> no I mean like because I just got the diagnosis like two weeks ago oh my god yeah that's it, wild it is well, wild thank you for sharing oh yes of course yeah yeah um, and it's I don't know like it is. I think it's very enlightening to be told that. And, and it's not like, you know, I go from here, I figure out how does how does someone who gets told that they have autism, like, move forward once they find out. And I actually found out the day I launched my little side business, that what I'm doing now, like, my the thing that's keeping me interest, like, just keeping me busy. The day I launched that, I actually think it was the day I... I don't know. I I was talking to like NPR or something. I was having an interview and I get a call like that morning from my doctor being like, so you're autistic. (laughs) And I'm like getting ready for like this like really important thing. And I'm just going, oh, okay. All right. And then I, 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 my husband walks in the room. He's like, Hey, how'd that go with your doctor? It's like, I'm autistic. And he's like, Oh, how do you feel about that? I'm like, I have no time to think about how I feel like that. I have an interview with uh, WBEZ in, a, in, a, in an hour, and I have to focus on that. And, like, and it's, I don't know. I had no idea. Like, I think I needed time to process it. So I guess it's been a couple of weeks, and I'm, like, processing it. And I go, like, my life really isn't all that different. No. I just feel a little more comfortable in, with, in my, you know, my own shoes. With yourself. With my shoes. Like, myself. Yeah, like, I better understand why I am the way I am and why I do the things I do and why like I Irish goodbye as they say like why I like just disappear from social settings and why I really enjoy just being with myself and like all and you know why I don't like loud noises and why I don't like bright settings and and everything and everything just makes sense Mm -hmm. and there is something so soothing about that well, you, you at least know, like, in a non-rude or harsh way, like, oh, I'm not crazy. Yeah. I have some explanations. Well, who knows about that? That's <laughs> completely unrelated. <laughs> crazy? We both met crazy people, and I don't say that lightly. So I, that's how I know. When I, I might, you know, do some wild stuff like a music fest in my backyard with thousands of people, but the fact that I could plan it out and execute it from point A to point Z and do it for a decade, 
yeah, I'm not crazy. A crazy person couldn't do that. That's just how it works. Mm. Just like you couldn't get a graduate degree and hold good, really nice jobs if you were crazy. Maybe sociopaths a different story. But I mean, I've met sociopaths. Yeah. Yes. Well, <laughs> I'm sure when you go into advertising, you meet some interesting. <laughs> well, I'm not done with that yet. <laughs> when I find out anybody's in advertising, I have to dig at their soul. Oh please, yeah. Because it can be it. one of the most soulless places because of what is going on. What the, yeah. the what you're playing on people's minds in these yeah. commercials? Uh, I figured that out before Mad Men when I was 15, and I boycotted TV for I don't know six, seven, eight years. I didn't watch sports, TV, or anything from like 15 to 23. It was great, except I missed out on something we call pop culture. <laughs> and I was you're com- bad at trivia, aren't you? <laughs> Pre 2005, pretty good. <laughs> um, I missed out on a lot as far as what society deems normal and what goes on in pop culture references, but I learned a lot because I went inward instead of being obsessed with what was going on outward. Um, but I and then I watched, you know, Mad Men like five times through, and it kind of solidified why I was disturbed and did not enjoy advertising. And to this day, like, I refuse to use it. I don't allow it on my YouTube channels. Um, I'm so glad that things like YouTube TV exist and you can pause and fast forward things, but I try not to let them get in my head. But the thing is, it's all around you. Advertising is like how most companies have their money. And I really like Formula One. When I watch it, everything is advertising. The helmets, the the suits, the cars, the walls, everything. There's no commercial, so they have to have it all around them. And... It's weird because it's like this is like a form of branding, like advertising, you know, except it stays here and I don't sell it. So I don't really know. Well, you're the expert over here. What would that be? Something where you you put branding, right? But I'm not selling it. Yeah. Because I don't have these for sale. There's just two mugs on this planet. It makes you feel good to see a mug with your brand on it. You're (laughs) like, I did that. It's funny. That's why you do that. But it gets, same thing with these, like these, these just exist in my home, but I don't, I have a weird relationship with it. I know that at a certain point you have, if you have a business or a company, you, you like have to promote it. You have to advertise. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to like do this in a more clean and non so like sadistic way that bigger companies will do. But I think I don't have a problem with too much products. It, it's where it gets into the prescription pills that I start to, why'd you smile? Oh, no, no, no. Like pharmaceutical advertising? Yeah. Yeah. I've never been there. I've never done that. That drives me crazy it's like most of the commercials i see if i'm watching you're watching like daytime soap operas or the bulls game oh yeah you know or anything anything where humans exist they will push different pills on you prescription pills um pharmaceutical companies and that is really strange because we're not many countries do that Mm -hmm. the bizarrity of it being like, ask your doctor if this medication is right for you. Like, your doctor should be telling you if a medication is right for you. You're like, like, what's, I don't know, in what world are you going into your doctor's office and be like, so I saw a commercial for Zoloft, and I think, based on that commercial, I might be depressed. Yeah. So could you prescribe me Zoloft? Yeah, like, it's that's the not wrong, happening. It's the wrong dialogue. It should, these commercials don't even exist, and it should be, to, we, it should be allowed in the health community to have the freedom to talk to your doctor and let them tell you what you may need based on some things you're going through. Not a commercial. It just keeps putting it in your head. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the side effects and the way they, the the acting and the layout and whoever <laughs> writes these commercials, I'm just like, oh my God. Well, I'm at least glad that like 
you know, they're required to put the side effects. Because I think it's just like In a small really... small font, what's when he speaks fast? Well, they have to say it, right? <laughs> they, they legally have to say it. And they're trying to get it in within, you know, 30 seconds or a minute or however long yeah. they've paid for that advertising. And it's required, so they're saying it very fast. But it takes you out of the element. It, like, takes the listener out of this world of, like, oh, this sounds like a really good medicine. Like, oh, look how happy she is. Oh, this may cause, like, weight loss. Like, diarrhea. Like, like terrible, terrible, terrible things. Long, long list of, like, terrible things that you don't want. And it, it snaps you out of it for a moment where you're like, oh, yeah, this is a pharmaceutical, like, this is a drug. Like, this isn't, like, some magic pill that's going to lift me out of, you know, for this instance, like a depression fog. Mm -hmm. Like, it's the reality of it is, is that, yeah, it's just a pharmaceutical company trying to make billions of dollars. And they have so much money, they can't afford these commercials that can come off as useless. Like, does anybody even take that? It's like, it doesn't matter. They have so much money, they could just keep pouring millions into advertising. It does not affect their profits. They, And even if one one-hundredth of the people buy it, it's like, that's just one more customer. And they tell their friends and like it just works advertising in a weird way works yeah oh yeah i mean as someone who's like been in it like i think that was i always had like this like this crisis identity crisis working in advertising too and i i think to this day i still have it even working like even in a job that i really enjoy and and it feels a little less i work in construction tech now so like it's just like Whoa, so we need to talk about that yeah yeah <laughs> But, like, that's what I – moving into, like, software, it feels like I'm less so trying to, like, manipulate and, like, convince people of something. Like, I'm trying to sell a software to another business that could probably use this software. I'm not doing anything, like – I'm not trying to convince you to spend $400 on a pair of jeans that was made in a sweatshop. Like, I – that's why I feel more comfortable doing this. And I think, like, that's – over the years, like doing Instagram ads, for instance, and like targeting people based on, you know, you know, well, you know, it goes from like, you know, I'm targeting them based on where they're located or are they a male or are they female? Or are they, you know, their, their education, their financial status, like, you know, they follow these other accounts. They, but then you get like, cause you know, Facebook, ugh owns like Instagram and everything. And you get really deep into the face. I think they've since changed it. Since I moved into software, I think they made it towards they can target a little less. I think laws have changed some things, but like you could, you could just target really deep down into like get really into someone's psyche, like down to like their religion and their their voting preferences and and you know how many times have they been divorced and what do they do for a living and that killed me. Mm. And it, I just hated it so much. And because I personally hate it, I don't like being targeted by advertising, but I was doing it because, again, like that's all I've ever known. And that's what I, I was supposed to be the next Katie Couric, which so like, which I don't even know. I never went into journalism, so I don't know how that was going to be possible. But what, what did you hate most about it? I felt like I was being manipulative. Like, like I was, I was doing the, the data side of manipulation. Um, and I don't like being manipulated, like not just by companies, but in, in, in general, like I, you know, as I'm someone that like, I, I have a hard time understanding where people are coming from, like when, wh why people do why, what they do. It's, it's really strange because like, as a marketer, I am 
professionally trained to understand why people do what they do. But as an autistic person, for instance, I have a really hard time like, really just deciphering why people are, why is someone being nice to me? Do they want something from me? Mm. Like, why, why did she say that like that? Why did, why did she text me that? It, it, does, she, does she, you know, does she hate me? Like, I, I just don't understand. Like, interpersonal relationships are really difficult for me. Mm. Um, friendships can be very hard for me because I just don't quite understand how, how things are supposed to be done. Like, right? And so, like, I don't know. I just feel like as someone that, like, I have a really hard time understanding, like, why things are done or why people think the way they do or feel the way they do or act upon certain things. I'm also the per- like someone that is like manipulating that from like an advertising perspective. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So it was tugging you in many yeah, directions. I, I felt very tugged. I felt like I, you know, what I was really good at, like I'm really good at like data and, and analyzing that and understanding in a marketing perspective, like human behavior and, behavioral economics i'm fascinated by that because i think at the same time if you can put like a, a, i don't know like a psychology behind why people do what they do and why you know, they buy what they buy or act upon certain things it's it's i'm learning as a person who doesn't understand that i'm learning a lot more on how to interact with other people mm-hmm. so like it was, I don't know, I find it fascinating because, like, I think it's really important to know these things. But then when you put advertising dollars behind it and you know that, like, your analysis of certain data and the way you've set up certain advertising has someone spending $200 on a hat, mm-hmm. you're that... I wouldn't, I don't know, like personally, would I buy this item? Like I, I had that, like that issue when I was doing advertising for dog food. It was like a dog food brand, like holding company that had all these dog food brands that I wouldn't feed to my own dog. Like it was trash, just mm-hmm. trash, bottom of the barrel, terrible dog food. But yet I was, you know, doing advertising for it. I was placing, you know, Instagram ads and Facebook mm-hmm. ads and writing content, like, Writing social content yeah. for brands that I wouldn't recommend to my mom to buy for her dog. So why am I recommending it to the world? Yeah, that's a very deep ethic, ethical yeah. predicament, quagmire <laughs> to be in morally while you're in your bathtub trying to like relax, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, right. So it's like, it's like very deep. Yeah, it keeps you up Many layers to it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I'm glad you're telling me on this. It's, <laughs> it's things... These are things I've thought about. I've always had a, a very nasty disdain for advertising, but as you should, I just—it's so—it's been so apparent to me. It—it's why I have the same problem with people who are just like preaching to me stuff. It—you're it, advertising for something you don't actually know if it's true or not, or, or believe in, and it goes the same for these companies. And I see it in depth on Instagram and Facebook tremendously. I mean, they have the most money to do it. And yeah, if I look up a sweater, a cardigan, the next page is a bunch of those. Yeah. And they God re- forbid you like like a birthday cake. I made a mistake <laughs> of liking someone's cake on Instagram and now all I see are cakes and yeah. which are beautiful, but like come on. But now that you know how that works. Yeah. 
how do you feel about it? Being away from it, but understanding what's going on. Oh, I, I mean, I still hate it. I left Facebook in 2018. You worked for Facebook? No. I left. I deleted my. Oh. I would never work for Facebook. I, I mean, <laughs> I was like, confused that's where, by that's what you where said. I draw the line, I think. So you don't use Facebook. I don't use Facebook. Um, but Instagram. But I use Instagram. And their own. Facebook. Their own by Facebook. So that's difficult. <laughs> that's, <laughs> I, I, you know, I would love to just like delete it all but i don't know i i think it, i'm sure everyone a lot of people feel that way you delete it all but then do you completely erase yourself from society because we're all yes. so ingrained in social media that's what happened when i said from that era where i just mm-hmm. i literally hid away in a cabin i built in the backyard and didn't go i didn't have social media and i didn't go on anything and i didn't watch stuff so that that can happen and it is the problem with you know i was talking i was hanging out with my niece this weekend she's very young a couple months and what, she's a couple months old. She's like eight months old. Oh, that's very young. Yeah, we had a really in depth conversation. Her, I and imagine I. she should be your next guest. <laughs> she smiles <laughs> a lot. And uh, I was, we were talking about like, what do you do with tablets and cell phones now? And my mom and dad, who are much older in their 60s, are like, nah, they shouldn't have them until they can get their own. And I'm like, you guys don't understand. Like, if you, I agree, but the problem is if you do that, the kid is now out of the social norm mm-hmm. and pop culture. Doesn't get what's going on. Doesn't understand the references, the the GIF and the and the new, um, what's the word? Uh, memes. Memes. Yeah. I know, I'm such an old man. Or the newest podcast thing that came out, or this awesome trailer for a new Marvel. They don't know any of it. Which, on the surface of things, like ah, oh, whatever they'll figure out. It's like no, you don't understand what this can do to someone's mind mm-hmm. if they go one way and everyone goes another way. Their local peers and neighbors and friends. You. It's not healthy mentally to do that. But on the other hand, if you expose them to everything, that's also not good. I think there's a middle, a good healthy middle ground just like you and I probably had growing up. I'm, I'm, I don't know how old you are. I'm 32. I'm 31. So about we're the both same old. age. Yeah, both old. <laughs> um, it was, you, you know, you, you go to school, you do your work, and once you accomplish things, then you can play your Nintendo or your PlayStation once you do it. And mm-hmm. you still only get X amount of time. After an hour or two, my mom would say, go outside and play. Like, you only can do this for a little bit. You can treat phones and tablets the same way, except they're so much more. Uh, they're so much more colorful and enticing, and very like textile and just really way more addictive mm-hmm. than Sega Genesis that has like sixteen bit, you know, yeah. graphics. Like not good. It, not nearly as addictive as like an iPhone twelve. Yeah, with hundreds of apps and everything on the sun and this connection around the globe and how you can interface and put things on people's faces and manipulate environment within it's remark it's a remarkable technology and tool when used properly Mm -hmm. it's just people our age can barely use it properly let alone a 10 year old Mm -hmm. so that's why it's tricky and then advertising before advertising you'd only really get it in a newspaper then it got to radio then radio newspaper then television but now that it's just everywhere you look on your apps as a kid now that's getting in to like their adolescent DNA, you know, mm-hmm. and it's embedded. It's just like all you knew from 14 onwards because of what you studied was communication advertising. Yeah. And that's now happening to four-year-olds. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what's going to happen in 30 years when this is just everywhere? And don't even get me started on kids on the internet and child pornography because that's a whole, <laughs> it's a whole problem. Yeah, let's not get started on child <laughs> pornography. Well, it's a whole problem because now kids are all over the internet with mm-hmm. photos and stuff. And people can just screen grab that and do sh- – because of technology can do really bad things with them. I do. I also feel bad for the kids that like 
they're, I mean, it's whole completely in a way unrelated, but not. Like, <laughs> they grow up with, like, their parents taking pictures of them and putting it all over Facebook and Instagram from the age, from, you know, the day they're born. Mm-hmm. And then what happens when, you know, the kid's 15, 16 and, like, seeing all these photos of them on the internet that, you know, have definitely been mined from some kind of data processing facility somewhere and there's just like their entire life has been just broadcast to the entire world like whoever wants to see it and they had no say in that no consent no like i want to know what happens when a kid grows up and goes you know i wasn't okay with that i wasn't i didn't i want my privacy i want my privacy i I never had it yeah what happens to that relationship between like the kid and the parent like what legality like what what does the kid have now at this point like what can they do what can they say it's tricky i know i have my own rule the only thing i'll ever do is a story which you know goes away to 24 hours that's the only thing i'll do with like an underage kid who can't consent because it's gone i won't like keep a a real photo on the internet Mm -hmm. with them until they agree to um that's my own thing though everyone's different it is tricky it is so different now (laughs) i'm just like do i even do you have children i don't have children I'm always like, do I want, do I, how do I do this? What do I, this world is so difficult. Not that it's getting any worse because people have been saying that forever. It's the technology is amazing, but man, it's difficult to navigate how to use it. And advertising is more abundant now than ever because of the smartphone. Mm -hmm. I mean, you left at a good time. What, three years ago you left? Something like that. Four, three, four, maybe four years ago. Yeah. Just about that time. And when you were, how many hours a week were you working? When you said you would be, you'd be doing things late at night, like in your bathtub. So were you working like <laughs> yeah, 80 hours a week or something? No, no. I, I also, uh, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, I'm also pretty lazy. No, I, yeah, I think I used to work a lot more. I used to allow myself to have no boundaries, no work-life like balance. I allowed myself to be much more accessible. And then when I switched into this, you know, working for a software company, I wasn't contacted after hours anymore. Uh, I, w- I no longer was contacted on weekends. Like, I entered this world of, like, really good work-life balance and really good respect for your, you know, your your colleagues. Mm-hmm. And that was, my, you know, my last job. And in my current job's like that, too. And I'm like... Okay, getting a taste of that, of like, not, I don't know, getting a taste of like, you know what, like working hours are nine to five. I'm not in meetings all day. I have maybe like one or two meetings a day. And the rest of the hours are spent like actually getting the work done. And then no one bothers me after five. Like I entered this bizarre world Sounds of like nice. of like respect. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you know, I recently I very recently left my job because, you know, IBM bought out the company. It was a startup originally. IBM bought it. I oh, stuck around for another year. A big company buys a small one. Oh, I know. <laughs> and and people started to notice like a change in culture. A lot of my coworkers left over the span of the last year where IBM was like really taking it over. And, you know, I actually, you know, I have respect for IBM the you know, company because they kind of 
tried their best uh, like keeping the culture but like no one understood how to like it's hard when you I guess when you're a giant one of the largest companies in the world and you like buy a little you know 200 person startup and you're like we're gonna try really hard to like you know remain and then it doesn't work it doesn't yeah. work so like I had a lot of coworkers leave and I um this was back in January um two of my favorite coworkers were put their two weeks in like the same day mm-hmm. like my manager who I respected tremendously because she like you know I think it's really important to have a good manager that respects, like, you know, boundaries and spends enough time, like, you know, teaching you certain things. And, like, she was a really good mentor. So when she told me she was leaving, I was like, oh, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. In my mind, I was thinking there's no way I I'm, I, I want to keep doing this, you know, without the people that I feel really safe and secure with, like, at a job. Like, mm-hmm. you never – I don't know. I just think I've been traumatized so much by, like, really bad managers in the past and really bad companies that – when you find a good manager, like he just, God, you just want to stick with him, right? Yes, I do know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. And so when she was leaving, she's like, I'm leaving. So is this other coworker that I really loved a lot. Um, would you like this other coworker's job? It's a promotion, it's a director level, it's more money. You have four people reporting into you. Uh, I was like, okay, because I'm not a great manager. <laughs> so I was just like, oh. And I considered it, I considered it for the money and for the, you know, I went back to that idea of prestige, like back when I was at that ad agency. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, to be a director at IBM. So that's pretty prestigious. It's prestigious, right? Like, yeah. I'm sure the money's going to be great. And then I was like, but I don't want to do that without the people that, like, I felt like really made me feel really comfortable at this job and made me feel really respected and taken care of. And, and they were just, you know. Friends, they were friends. So I was like, I can't, I just don't want to do it. I, I, I'm going to walk away from that and started interviewing for other jobs and then found the one in construction. And it's the, you know, the same role I would have had at IBM, but it's for a company with, I don't know, what, 50, 60 people, um, very small and it's in construction. And so everyone's like, you work in construction? I'm like, I work in construction technology. <laughs> and I, you know, I walked into another great environment where, like, there's good work-life balance. People, my manager's a good person, very respectful. And I'm like, I just feel like, okay, maybe it's a coincidence or maybe I found a world that I fit in. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I, I don't understand what happened, but I started to identify, like, environments that I'm good in. It also helps a lot that like these last two jobs, this job and my last job were remote. So I've been remote since 2018. Oh, wow. And before it was cool. Before it was cool. I was remote <laughs> before it was cool. Before it was common. Actually, it's very annoying now because like I can't go to like a coffee shop or anything to work because like everyone else is. It is so big now. Oh, like I everyone it. I know works remote. Everyone who lives in this house mm-hmm, works remote. Mm-hmm. I used to be the only one who lived here. Mm-hmm. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, I, I teach. So I go down to ISU to teach, but... The other day, the other five days, you're looking at my job, and I loved it. No mm-hmm. one was ever home, and now everyone's here. And I'm like, the footsteps you hear right now, <laughs> I'm just like, ugh. I'm yeah, <laughs> I, I'm so ready for everyone to go back to the office. Sorry, everybody. It's never. It's not going to – I think we've adapted to a new We've way. adapted to a hybrid th- world, I think. Like, yeah. I – I don't know. Like, I am – I always said before the pandemic, I was like, I want there to be like much more acceptance of this like remote life. Like I, I loved this like digital nomad, like very small movement that was starting to happen in mm-hmm. 2018. I, I would, you know, my last job, I would go and work for a week from London or 
New Zealand or wow. yeah, like they gave me the autonomy to be like, like we know you're gonna get your work done. We don't care where you are doing it. Oh, like you'd travel there for like. Oh, yeah. Vacation, just, but it's still... Just to work. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they weren't paying for it. Jesus. Yeah. I then, thought you meant like they were uh, sending you to work. I was no. like, oh. They did send us to Croatia one time. That was very... Uh, that was t- February 2020. We all went to Croatia, and then half my colleagues were like dropping like flies sick. Oh, I yeah. wonder why. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I, I I just loved it. And then I always said like, I wish, you know, people were more accepting of remote work, and I wish it, you know, it was more mainstream. And I didn't, I wasn't trying to wish for a pandemic. <laughs> I hope not. I really not. wasn't. <laughs> but this happened and like everyone's, you know, forced to work from home. And then I'm like, you know, everyone's talking about, you know, remote work is the future. I'm like, yeah, I know. I've been saying that. And I'm like, this is the new normal. I'm like, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> it really is. And then I go like, oh, but wait a minute. There are no empty seats at the coffee shops anymore. Like there's. Coffee shops are way more packed now. Yeah, like there's so many places that I used to work from. Um, and now and I have it's to like, work from home. Yeah, now I have to work from home. And like my husband somehow got the home office because he speaks much louder than I do. So he needs like the whole room to just reverberate like, against the walls. And so I have made like a makeshift home office in the bedroom. And I have this like screen behind my, behind my desk mm-hmm. to kind of like separate like this is where I sleep. I don't work here. This yeah. is where I work. Yeah. Like, and so I'd like try really hard, like when I'm laying in bed, not to be able to like look at my computer and my workspace and think about work because like right now, like it's so important to me to have that separation of work and home, mm-hmm. like in actuality and in like, you know, being able to being able to see my work. I don't want to be able to see it because I want to really disconnect myself from it now. Ugh, maybe I'm traumatized. No, I understand. <laughs> I I, I get it. I, I try not to work down here when I'm doing editing and whatnot because I spent like a decade down here. And it's a cold, dark, dingy basement. And I love it, obviously. It's a really cool basement, but I like to be upstairs where the windows are shining and mm-hmm. I have space and it's separate. Mm-hmm. And I come down here to work with bands or do a podcast, but then I go back up there. But um, yeah, working from home is a very – I just – what are all these offices going to do? All the real estate. I know. It's got to be catastrophic. I imagine it is. Like that's they're so expensive too, tens of thousands of dollars a month for these, and sometimes more on these spaces downtown overlooking the lake mm-hmm. to impress the client who shows <laughs> up to the conference room and realize they don't need any of this stuff yeah. for most jobs. Most people who work in an office can do a re- remote. When I had friends who, my brother too, who had to go home after they worked in the office downtown or somewhere else. They were just like, why have we been doing this this whole time? The commute. The commute. And the downtime. Let's be real, everyone. No one actually works. Like legitimately works 40 hours a week, like without stopping. No yeah, one. Yeah, no way. Nobody yeah. does that. There are a few people, but they're, the bell curve, there are people who don't do anything at their jobs and people who work too much. Mm-hmm. But in the middle of it, which is most people, you're not working eight hours straight. You're probably working three or four. Mm-hmm. And then they have this four hours of like, what, when you're in the office, you're just water cooler talk or chilling. Yeah. I guess I'll go to the bathroom again. I don't know. Yeah. I guess I'll surf the web for a little bit or look at some Instagram. Mm-hmm. You're or, working. You're like walking to and from meetings. You're like refilling your coffee. You're I'll play some fantasy football. Like you'll figure out something to do. Yeah. But at home, you can double down on your chores. You can. Oh, there's a break. I guess I'll go like vacuum the kitchen real quick. Oh, my laundry's done. And then by the time five or six happens, whenever your office hours stop. You got all your laundry done. Mm-hmm. You cleaned the house already. You went on the hour-long jog during lunch instead of sitting in a room. Wow, you would go for hour-long jogs? 
I mean, I go hypothetically in the morning. I do an hour and twenty minute hike every morning. But wow, that, yeah, it's fun. Good it's, for you. I I love it. It, it. I love it mostly for the weather. Mm-hmm. Like today, it's April nineteenth, right? Yeah, eighteenth. Eighteenth. Today's my uh, anniversary. Oh, happy anniversary! Yeah, I'm spending it with you. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> I'm so glad that you and your husband got married and you're spending it with me instead. Uh, he's in his meetings all day, so. <laughs> this is a really fun meeting. Yeah, this is yeah. not a traditional meeting. Yeah, I know. Um, how many years? Four. Wow, four years. Four years. Eight years together, four years married. So you got together at 23. <laughs> yeah. And married at 27. He watched me go through the years of like trying to figure myself out yeah. in my 20s and like just leaving jobs like after like eight to you know 12 months because i realized like it's just all gone to hell and it's very rare actually at our age to have a relationship that long and be married it's not as common anymore Mm -hmm. um what how did you meet we met through a mutual friend um we met at bar trivia in san francisco i was actually i didn't i lived in portland at the time I had a client meeting, you know, working in advertising. I had a client in San Francisco, came into town for a meeting, met up with a friend from college, and she was like, hey, you want to go to Bar Trivia with me tonight? I'm like, yeah, sure. And so I get out of the car, and there's a group of people that would later become, like, my best friends. Um, I didn't know yet I was going to move to San Francisco, right? I'm just meeting these random people for the day. And I saw him standing outside with, like, my group of eventual friends, and I go, he's so cute. But he smokes cigarettes, so. <laughs> oh, oh, never mind. I was actually dating someone else at the time. That oh. conversation. Wait, wait, wait. That thought did not go through my head, I swear. <laughs> oh, I Cut see that. what's going on. Cut that. <laughs> so, it so, happened eight years ago. Yeah, it doesn't yeah, matter. Who, who cares? It doesn't matter. Yeah. Oh, well, who cares? But you're a human. That's clearly you might not have been too happy in that previous relationship. Oh, it ended like a month later. It yeah. was. It, it was. Bless their heart. It was not a great relationship. <laughs> You're from, you said Virginia? I'm from Virginia. Bless their heart. I know. I, that's like, bless bless their heart is like the southerner's way of saying like. You have an interesting accent them. actually. Oh, yeah. I can hear all three regions. Oh, you it. can hear many regions. I'm actually. You hover, you go, because I know the southern very well. I spent many of time in the south. And so between the Virginia, then that San Francisco West Coast, mm-hmm. even Portland, like just the West Coast, and then now the Chicago one. It's you're picking up on, or Midwest, yeah, I guess yeah, you'd yeah. say. It's interesting. Yeah, I actually, um, my early, early days, my childhood, my formative years, <laughs> uh, I was in Southern Ohio, so I grew up in Appalachia. Mm-hmm. So I was in the mountains. I was like a little small town mountain girl, <laughs> <laughs> and then I moved to Vir- Richmond, Virginia, when I was ten, and they were considering putting me in. S- Speech classes because I don't think they could understand anything I was saying. Howdy, I'm Summer. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it was. I, I don't know. I don't know what I sound like as a kid. I know what people where I'm from sound like, and it's it's you know very regional dialect. Sure, nothing wrong with it at all. But no. I um, I guess as a you know a kid growing up somewhere new where people, I don't know, kind of make fun of your accent. Yeah. You you start to change it fast. Fast, yeah. yeah. The accent thing is weird. I don't know why. Like, I, I poke fun at the Southern thing. But how, how could you not? <laughs> I mean, go for it, yeah. Yeah, but I don't, I mean, I don't really mean it. I understand how it works, how, why we have different colored skin and why we have different dialect and different languages. It's not rocket science, how it all happened. But I don't know why 
instantly when someone speaks differently. You just, you can't help but poke at them. Mm -hmm. It's, it's like a social thing you do with your friends. It's all, oh, you're from Washington. (laughs) (laughs) You're from Connecticut. Like, you know, it's, you can't help but do it. You don't even mean anything by it. It's just, I've had it done to me. Mm-hmm. Like when I have my Chicago accent that seeps through my, my T's that have a D in front of them. Yeah. Yeah. We went down over there and <laughs> you just can't help it. And hot dog and you're, <laughs> but it's fun. And I don't know. It, we're very uh, tribal, mm-hmm. us, us humans. Um, so where were we? You were talking about meeting your husband, eight years you've been together, four years married. And you, when did you move to Chicago? That was a good joke I told. <laughs> it's a great joke. I moved to Chicago March 1st, 2020. Oh, that's why you're laughing. Yeah. <laughs> and and the funny thing is, is... That's funny. So funny. Uh, the, the the thing was, is that I was... We decided... We actually decided January 1st, 2020, that we were leaving Oakland. We lived in Oakland at the time. And we decided to leave Oakland because, you know, we actually spent the day in San Francisco. We were at the art museum. It was a very lovely day. We drive home, we get home, and our next-door neighbor says, oh, you just missed it. Someone came by with a machete, and they were threatening to stab us if if they didn't, if we didn't let them inside our house. We obviously didn't let them in, but, you know, they went to your house first, but no one was home. And I was like, okay. <laughs> what? And I turned to my husband, and I was like, this is it. We're selling. We're, uh, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. And, you know, Oakland ha- is an amazing city, but it has its problems, obviously. And like like any major city has its problems. And I think it was like the yeah, final one. Humble Park. Like. Uh, Humble Park is a beautiful place. It, it is, is a, a beautiful lovely place. place full of great That's people. That's because you've lived there only for uh, two years. I know. But Humble Park <laughs> hasn't always been no. what it is today. I understand that. Yeah. I'm not going to knock Humble Park. <laughs> <laughs> but I know. Well, I actually first moved to Ukrainian Village and. Then I decided I couldn't afford to buy a house in Ukrainian Village, so I ended up a mile away from where I was. But anyways, yeah, so we decided I didn't want to live in a place where someone's going to, like, threaten me with a machete. No. And we decided that we would put the house up for sale. Um, I was going to move here first, and my husband would join me right after the house sold. You know, so in Oakland, the house would probably take, you know, three days to a week to sell. Wow. Yeah, that's, you know, it's it's amazing selling a house in the Bay Area. It's such a... Gosh, that's a process. And so I moved here March 1st. And then, you know, about a week later, like, things are starting to get kind of weird. And then, like, you know, about a week later or so, like, you know, everything goes on shutdown, especially in California. California mm-hmm. took it much more seriously than we did. And so trying to sell a house in the beginning of the pandemic in California it's impossible. They, they closed down all the buildings of like people who actually need to process paperwork and, and they weren't allowing walkthroughs. Um, and so no one was able to see houses to even buy them. Mm-hmm. And so my husband's trying to, you know, sell a house that no one can see. And so it took about three months or so before it oh actually God. sold. Yeah. Which was just terrifying because like I also, during that time in April, I actually got laid off from my job. <sighs> so here I am. <laughs> Luckily, I got rehired later, but here I am, March 1st, moving to a new city. I don't really know anyone other than my husband's friends and his family because he's from here. So I'm like ready to make new friends, ready to just like start this new life in this new city. And like, I remember like the only thing I really got to do before the world shut down was go to the DMV and get my license. That's where I, that's, yeah. 
That's exciting. Yeah, very exciting. And yeah, and so then, you know, we're we're just in shutdown forever. And he eventually moves around June. And I'm just like completely alone for so long and, you know, laid off. So like I spent probably like six weeks just watching Mary Poppins on repeat (laughs) every day. Like that was my feel good. There's nothing else to watch. (laughs) Mary Poppins is what I watch when like the world is falling apart all around me. Yeah. It is my feel good. Yeah. What what is it? Sugar? Sugar. Makes the medicine go down. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it goes. It's been a while. Just Mary Poppins on repeat makes the <laughs> pandemic move along. <laughs> That's a really dark way to start the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was difficult, very difficult. I mean, like, we all had hard times. Yeah. But, like, being alone in a city where you don't really know anyone mm-hmm. and your husband is, like, in a completely another state and yeah. you're getting laid off from a job and... Can't sell the house. Can't sell a house. And, like, you have friends that are like just move back to california just take your house off the market and just move back and i go like no i made it so far i made it here all my stuff made it here yeah. it was, like i can't turn around now i can't go back and i'm glad i didn't listen to them because chicago's great chicago's great and everything kind of worked out in the end so, so did you come here before that have you been yeah. to chicago yeah this is my husband he's from here like where, where at what area is he from he's from glenview a bunch everyone's like well that's not chicago i get it i'm if I moved away, I would be like, I'm from Chicago. Mm-hmm. I have the same address system as Chicago. I, you, 87th Street goes through Chicago. It's right here. It's it's so close. And everyone from around here is from there. All mm-hmm. of the parents or grandparents moved out of Chicago in the 50s and 60s and yeah. 70s came here. It's It embodies us all. Yeah. And I spent so much time there. I went to school there for both schools. I'm there once or twice a week. And I'm moving there in the fall. So it's mm-hmm. like, yeah. You're I, moving into the city? Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. That's great. Hopefully, Pilsen. That's the goal. I like Pilsen. Me too. It's a nice little area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I would say, like, yeah, if I moved away from here, I'd say I'm from Chicago. When I am here, I just say I'm from the Southwest suburbs. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. You have a you have a very interesting trajectory that led you here. Yeah. Even the jobs and the switching. It's it takes a lot of guts to switch your career path. Yeah. It takes a lot. What what was the biggest thing you found that helped you to like muster up the courage to do it? You know what it was? It was deciding that I didn't care what other people thought anymore about me and what I what I do. The title. The title, the glory, the I think <laughs> I always I think wanted to have like a really impressive job. I mean, I'm a first-generation college student, like, college graduate, mm-hmm. first person in my family to graduate, um, and I wanted to really, like, be impressive and make something of myself and, like, really make my family proud, and I wanted to have a job that people go, like, oh, you know, Summer does this, and then, and then I realized just, like, how hard living that life was. Like, I did that, and it wasn't, it wasn't great, and then I went... I'm going to find a job that isn't on paper impressive, but it keeps my mental health like in check and it keeps me feeling good. Makes you happy. Makes me happy. Fulfillment. That concept, happiness, makes me happy. And, you know, to this day, ever since I moved to, you know, the software world, but like no one understands what I do or who I really work for or like what my day-to-day is. And that no longer matters to me mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, like, I am so content. Yeah. And I have the ability to pursue side projects. I have the ability to, in between meetings, like garden Mm -hmm. and 
come to a podcast at one in the afternoon on a Monday. Yeah, don't don't say that. I, I, I have I have <laughs> I have my work calendar. I'm at the vet right now. They don't know that. They're not going to listen to this. But you never know. And they're very supportive. <laughs> I love your tongue. <laughs> listen, you're talking. You're you're speaking kind things about this job. They it's should, true. They should be okay with it. This yeah. is a good thing. If you're looking for new construction software, uh, I can just I, <laughs> yeah. I would say. Work right now. Yeah. Give us a sales pitch. Let's go. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm too new to talk about it. Like, I don't know. I've only been there like two months. It's actually really fascinating, though. I will say it is. F- Let me give you like a 30-second like elevator pitch of how I actually you know do commercials. Give me a 30-second commercial. Yeah. Let's go. So I do, I work for a company called Reconstruct and they are based in Menlo Park, California, but they do have quite a big Chicago presence Um, by quite a big, the the total employee count is like 50. So there's like eight of us here. It's great. Um, And so it's this really fascinating, like, and I'm going to butcher this, but it's like reality modeling of building sites. And so Basically, it shows you like this four-dimensional plan of like what a building structure. Four dimension. Yeah, four D. I didn't know that was a thing. If really five D is a thing too, but I don't believe. I don't know what that four, is. What is the fourth dimension? It's not time in this situation. Well, it, so it's like, have you ever heard of like BIM, like BIM overlays? Mm-mm. All right, I'm not going to go too deep in this. This <laughs> we're past the 30 second uh, elevator pitch, but basically, <laughs> it shows you like what is there versus what should be there in a construction like build. So you can see, like, as you're building something, if something's misplaced based on, like, capturing photos and videos. So mm-hmm. If you can walk around a construction site with your cell phone, take a video, upload it into the software, and it has this, like, mesh overlay that it, pro- that it like, produces. And, mm-hmm. like, this kind of software can, pre- can prevent, like, catastrophes, I, I believe. Like, if you think about, like, down in uh, Florida, like, surf- Surfside? Is that what it's called? The the building that like collapsed, the apartment building that collapsed down in Florida recently. Mm, yeah, yeah, in Miami. Yeah, in Miami. And like, if you think about like those kind of, you know, structural issues, like this recently happened in Chicago too. I don't know if you heard about like the building that kind of collapsed in Chicago and like, mm-hmm. I don't know if it <clears throat> killed someone or like seriously injured them, but like it can show you like structural issues. Like, like if you're using this software, you can see if something is wrong mm-hmm. before <clears throat> before it goes wrong. Yeah. Right. So in a way, I feel like I have found, you know, it is software. I feel like, you know, we're not, we're not like, you know, trying to, like they could say, you're not trying to save the world. You're not trying to like, but in a sense, it feels good because like you, if, if your software could prevent something like terrible like that from happening, I don't know. It feels good. It feels good to like find an environment where you feel supported, you feel respected. And when I say respected, I mean you're not being contacted nights and weekends. Yeah. And that you also, you know, kind of feel like, you know, this is like, this is like a good thing. Like no one's trying to cure cancer here. Mm-hmm. We're not saving the world necessarily, but like I don't feel bad anymore yeah. about what I'm doing. That's, I mean, that's huge. And you could save a life. You could also make the whole process easier mm-hmm. and... I mean, yeah, just it's simple, just safer for for construction workers, for architects, for people who are, you know, patrons of it, who go to it. It's a lot better of than the opposite, which was 
pushing something onto people's minds subliminally or yeah. unconsciously or subconsciously or whatever it is. That's a very different yeah. um, work dynamic. It definitely is. I I, I I don't feel that way anymore. I don't feel like I'm the devil. I used my husband's actually very anti advertising, and he was like, I, "I'm so conflicted by what you do." Yeah, but I, he doesn't I would say be that too. anymore. Yeah, I would be too. I mean, I'm conflicted by what a lot of people do for work, and yeah, the advertising one is a hard one to swallow. I because obviously, like you are your own person. You're not just your job. Some people can be, but. It sometimes can say a lot about who you are, like why you choose to be there. And it, to you, it's you, like you said earlier, it's all you knew. Mm-hmm. And you felt comfortable in that situation. You knew it really well. You were probably good at it. I was great at it. Yeah. Amazing. That <laughs> was incredible. The at best. It. You probably won one of those awards. Just don't ask any of my old managers that I had like bad performance reviews with. <laughs> but I was amazing at it. <laughs> Did you get any awards? No. For those who are listening, your face, <laughs> you had the biggest smile when I said award. You just dropped, like, no. so upset. <laughs> Awards go to the creative type. Oh, you weren't in creative? No. Mm. You just do, like, all the all the research and, and data analysis and, like, understanding why a campaign's going to work. But then the people who make all the pretty pictures and uh-huh. videos, they yeah. get the awards. Kind of like executives. every award ceremony. Yeah. Like, all of them. Yeah, yeah, like the Oscars or anything. Like, you know, oh my God, yeah. it's don't even get me started with the Oscars. They tried fast tracking the technical awards and like mm-hmm. not really showing them or mm-hmm. showing them faster. And I'm like, the irony of this, like we're watching this through technology without the camera person and the people who designed the microphones and the lenses mm-hmm. so we could witness Will Smith slap Chris Rock <sighs> and the stupidity of all that. Without the technology, we couldn't have this to begin with. Or the fashion designer who made all these outfits, yeah. like costume design for films. Yeah, we're going to fast track it because it's not some big speech by a best actor, best yeah, actress. They're not the popular ones. They're not the famous yeah, ones. Yeah, they're not good looking enough. Yeah. You know, they, they haven't been picked yeah. because of their looks. Yeah, they're, they're nerds who sit behind microphones, mixers, consoles, computers, softwares, and a thread. You know, they're not actually the the literally like model looking person who also has been picked by Hollywood to be this actor because that's what happens they're probably much more interesting folks the ones that you actually want to have a drink with yeah they're not multi-millionaires they're they're getting by with a good job in Los Angeles or around the world Atlanta London wherever they're working from but they're not you know worth 400 million dollars like Will Smith is um yeah I don't like it and I've never agreed with it because Mm -hmm. of that it's the same reason like with the Grammys it's the same thing it's like I don't I don't know a world where I would ever win one, and if I did, it wouldn't be advertised because they don't advertise the ones that I would win. Yeah. <laughs> so it yeah. wouldn't be like put on television. Yeah. You know, and it's the same thing. Yeah, you do all this work, but it's, you know, the creative director and the people in on, in his bubble or her bubble that, mm-hmm. you know, get those awards. Oh, yeah. That was one of the things. Like, I when I decided to, like, stop caring about the appearance or, like, the optics of what I do and whether it's impressive to someone else, it was around that same time where I was like, screw awards. Like, mm-hmm. like so much of advertising is creating creating stuff that you want to win an award. An agency is trying to win an award because it's great PR. And you start to question, like, is this being made for the award or is this being made because it's a great campaign? And yeah. it's usually because they think it's going to win an award. But think about what you're winning an award for. For like manipulating Best people better. Best manipulator. Yeah, it's like that's so weird. Uh, it's so dark. Yeah. Uh, awards. I don't understand awards. I I think there's some out there that are 
well-deserved and nice ones like lifetime achievement awards and honorary doctorates, things that people mm-hmm. decide based on your merit as a human being in society, maybe a Nobel Peace Prize, right. things like that. But <laughs> these goofy ones where we all dress up in tuxedos, women wear lavish dresses, men wear tuxedos, and let's all pretend like we care. And yeah. it's just to have better advertising for you as a person to your industry. Well, now you should hire me because I won a Grammy. Like, uh-huh. it, but says who? Like, you're just another talented person like the rest of them. Like, mm-hmm. You know, you just, couldn't have done it without any of these other people, too. Uh-uh. No, like, the inspiration, the ideas. I think they should all come up with a trophy. Like, if mm-hmm. you manage to impress people enough to become the best actress, then there are 200 other people that should get the trophy, too, because... Participation rib- ribbons. <laughs> yes. It should be where we just don't do awards and you do the work because you love it. Yeah. And you're passionate and you have ideas and it, you're driven and mm-hmm. you just want the world to be a, a better place. And sometimes it's through creativity and expression. Sometimes it's through technology or yeah. software. We need both. It's a, a very nice um, symbiotic relationship, the arts and technology. Um, it's what I work in in creative technologies at my school, and it's it's great. And I think there's room for both, and one shouldn't be picked over the other. Um, but for some reason, they are. And, yeah, advertising is a strange one. So your husband's really against it, but he still, he just kind of, like, kept it to himself? Oh, he didn't keep it to himself. God, no. Would he bring it up at, like, a gathering? Like, oh, mm-hmm. summer's an advertising. Never. <laughs> he would never disrespect me like that. He's a very <laughs> kind soul. He... He wouldn't ever bring up how he doesn't feel like it would take me bringing up something like, guess what I have to do right now? I have to do this. And he goes, that is terrible. Like that is absolutely terrible. And why I'm not on social media. And I hate that so much. And this makes me so angry. And he'll start to like spiral. And I go, okay, okay, okay. Sorry. I didn't mean to say it. I shouldn't have said anything. So I just, I'm not going to talk about like that anymore. But (laughs) I mean, on the other end of it, what he does for a living is he's a sustainability engineer. Like, he helps companies lower their carbon footprint. That's amazing. It's amazing. He yeah. is, what he does is very important and very incredible and very much the opposite of working at an ad agency. <laughs> like, it couldn't possibly be more opposite. Yeah. And so, he's actually made me more a sustainable person and more focused on, like, being a good, you know. He a, sounds like a fascinating person to talk to. Yeah, you should talk to I'll him. I'll talk to him next. You should. I'll get his number from you. What you should do is, like, just play the New League Wood game with us. I'm going to text him. I don't know where. Yeah, your wife's kind of cool, but you seem cooler. Yeah. <laughs> no, you should. I mean, I'm really cool. I'm probably cooler than him. That, but... was, a, that was a joke. <laughs> You're like, I didn't like it. Well, I mean, I, I, I believe you on that one. <laughs> end scene. <laughs> the end. How's your coffee? Um, cold and <laughs> almost empty. And your water untouched. Untouched. I'm I'm chronically dehydrated. Can we talk about DIY girl? What's that? I don't know. Just kidding. <laughs> That's uh, what's occupying my girl spelt incorrectly. Okay, you want to know? I, mean, I, I probably know why you had to do it because I'm sure that might not be available. Yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. And so I was recently on. Um, side note. Then I will go back and explain what that is. I was recently on Chicago Today, uh, NBC, which is. Like I said, I don't like being in the public eye. Like, go back to that like autistic, like awkward person. The public eye. I went very much. I I didn't ask for it. They asked for it, and so I was like, I got to do this for the sake of what I'm doing. How'd you get that? I got an Instagram DM. How Mm -hmm. like everything is an Instagram DM. Like how DIY girl has 
manifested into what it is. I so DIY girl girl spelled G R R L girl. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, I I'm so scatterbrained. They were basically you know like introducing DIY girl on Chicago Today, and they're like DIY girl. Is is that how you say it? And I'm like it's 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 pronounced girl, but yeah, however you want. G R R L. It's because my Instagram name was Hey Girl, G-R-R-L. Nice. That I made years ago because it was like a play on the Ryan Gosling, Hey Girl. What movie? Uh, no, it's just like, it's like a meme. Oh, I Yeah. I know nothing. nothing about memes. So there's the Ryan Gosling, Hey Girl meme, which I, you know, years ago was like, all the rage, so fun. So I wanted the I wanted Hey Girl as like my Instagram name, but of course that's taken. So I just went with, you know, kind of like the Riot Girl, like yeah. G R R L, and then DIY Girl was going to just be like an extension of my own Instagram account where I did DIY projects that I wanted to learn. But then as I started to build that out, I felt like this could be more than just an Instagram account. Like I could, you know actually teach other people how to do things like on a bigger scale mm-hmm. and it I was you know really just like brainstorming for for a couple of months on it and then I was having a conversation with my mechanic <laughs> as you want to do and he was saying um he was like you know I guess like kind of saying commenting on not complaining about but saying like I really wish people really knew how to do you know more things with their car like it it, it would be you know, better for them if they knew how to like, you know, change a tire or check their oil or change your brakes. Yeah. Like, you know, things that like people don't really know how to do. And I go, and you know, I'm responding. I've always wanted to know how to do these things and I've never learned. And I kind of like clicked for me finally, like what DIY girl could be after that conversation is that like, I kind of realized that there's a lot of things I don't know how to do. And I attribute that mostly for myself to being like a woman and growing up as a girl, with like brothers and uh, I even had a, like a mechanic. My dad was like a mechanic. Like, well, my dad was in everything. He, he worked in the like still plants and he did everything. He's mm-hmm. very handy with his hands. But like I never watched a thing he did. I never paid attention because I was like, you know, the shy, quiet kid up in my room playing with Hot Wheels cars. <laughs> <laughs> the irony there. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> um, so I was, you know, I never learned anything like that. I felt like was really essential to like, you know, hands-on skills, operating power tools, or or fixing, you know, a light. Like, and then I really started relying on my husband all these years to do those things for me. And it wasn't that like I couldn't. It's just that like I never tried. Yeah. Because like. You know, you're a straight woman with a man, and you're just like, ah, can you screw that in the wall for me? Like that's my voice <laughs> when I talk to him. Can you screw that that photo in the wall, <laughs> husband? It it is um it you said it best. It's never that you can't. Mm-hmm. It's that you just like don't. Yeah, you just you haven't. You haven't because you never needed to because there's always probably a man there to do it for you. Or even if not, there was always someone else to do it. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've, between the couple of houses I've bought in, in the past few years and projects I've taken on, like I, I was saying to you earlier when I arrived here that, you know, I was did a lot of work on my house. It was very colorful. It was owned by these incredible artists, and but it was very colorful. Like, And I had to, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to change it up a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
But, you know, I brought in a guy who did tiling, a, a guy who, you know, electrician, a, a plumber, a, a painter. I, I hired many, many, many men to come in and do all these projects for me that, you know, I did try, like, watching YouTube videos on some of these things, and I'm just like... I'm much more, like, hands-on. Like, I need to learn. Like, I can't watch a YouTube video and know how to do something. It just doesn't click in my brain that way. And then I think that it just kind of came. I had talked to friends, some girlfriends, and they're like, oh, I wish I knew how to do this, that. Like, I wish I knew how to, like, use a power saw. I wish I knew how to, like, do all these things that I would never even fathom to, like, think was possible to learn. Um felt like it'd be too inaccessible or like unnecessary Mm -hmm. but after talking to people and like deciding like hey i'm gonna work with my mechanic to do like a workshop and we're going to do it under the diy girl umbrella um i'm going to just market it as a marketer that i am market it as like a little workshop where people can go to um his shop like it's garcia's auto shop i should i should say that go to Garcia's and learn how to change a spare tire. Like, that was the, the first, like, let's be, like, super focused on what we're going to do from the beginning. We're going to teach people, women, girls, um, moms and daughters, and whoever else, because it's not just a girl problem. Let's change, let's teach them how to change a tire. Mm-hmm. And I was honestly expecting maybe, like, four or five people to be interested in it and begging my friends to show up just to make it look more impressive than it really was. Like, yeah. I, I felt like I had to be like... I'll get coffee and, you know, cakes and we can just hang out. Mm-hmm. And like, and the word got out. And I, I, I would say it's mostly thanks to Block Club Chicago. Um, I got a DM from Block Club, the media publication. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, one of the writers there happened to see me post on Instagram, like, hey, I'm doing this changing a spare tire class. Um, in Humboldt Park with Garcia's Auto Shop. If you're interested, like, de- like just leave a comment below. And then it went crazy. <laughs> it just went wild. And I have, you know, I, I, I was supposed to, like, two days ago go through and actually choose the people who are showing up. But I've just been, like, so, you know, preoccupied with other things. I haven't done that yet. But, like, I had, you know, 100 hundred and so people like comment like hey i want to do it and then i have over 100 people on a wait list on my website wow and i had all these messages and emails and people just like super excited and i'm like i'm gonna have to do more than just this like we're gonna have to teach more do more classes and it just like really started to expand like what is possible with diy girl Mm -hmm. so i talked with bff bikes which is like a woman-led um, bike shop here in mm-hmm. over in Logan Square, and so we're going to do June fifth. We're going to do a class on bike maintenance. I've talked to actually a couple other like people, bike experts, on doing more. Like so, just trying to get like figuring out like what's bike maintenance or like how to maybe take your tire off, how to change a mm-hmm. flat tire. Um, I talked to last week. Uh, a woodworker who he's going to teach uh, a class on how to like use certain like power tools. And we're going to do a class on making a uh, cutting board. So there's like four or five different tools that are involved in making a cutting board Mm -hmm. and like sanding and, and like that is, you know, 
while you're going to walk away knowing how to make a, a cutting board, like you're now going to know how to like safely use these tools right. that you're going to be able to use for other projects. Right, and my, different ways. Exactly. And so my goal is like, I want to teach people essential life skills Yeah, that they are right now hiring other people to do or on a waiting list for someone to show up because like there's a labor shortage and like no one's like there's a like a labor shortage of like people like skilled workers yeah and so people are like waiting for months for like certain projects to be done and if maybe someone one of those people one of those skilled people local people were like i'll spend two hours on a workshop and teach 20 people how to do this and then maybe down the line like one of those people in the class teaches their friend how to do it Mm -hmm. and then like that knowledge gets shared gets passed yeah expanded on and there's just maybe hopefully my goal is down the line that there's just less people who don't know how to do certain things and mm-hmm. and i'm gonna make no money off of this <laughs> yeah it's, and it's like a form of charity yeah and that's the thing like i but you feel good about it i feel good about Fulfilled. it filled yeah people you know, one of the first questions that people ask me like well so how are you making money doing this are you charging and i'm like i'm not charging the instructors might charge for their time which is totally fair but i'm not trying to make money from this my husband's like, can you try not losing money from this? And I'm like, we'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> it, it, okay, I want to stick to that one. That is the number one thing that it gets asked. How are you making money? Are you making money at this? How are you making money? Yeah, it's how are you monetizing this, this charity? <sighs> I am so frustrated with that. I yeah. get asked that a lot right now. Yeah. This is not making me money. This is. Then why'd you ask me for $500 when I got here? <laughs> <laughs> that was good. <laughs> why'd you ask me for all my money then? <laughs> yeah, no. I've been doing podcasts for 10 years now and this one for about a year and a half, no money, never mm-hmm. made a dime off of it. My festival, no money, never made a dime off of it. It's not about that. Mm-mm. It's about someone can now hear this conversation, even about the advertising or the fact that the most important thing to come out of this, you switch careers Yeah. based on not uh, a financial background or a job title to look good to society but because what was best for you, which yeah. so many people don't do and they're afraid to do. It's daunting to them. So you're a good example of that. So that's, even if someone got that from watching or listening to this, that's enough for me. That's enough value for me. As a person who has been in a different career and chose to do, to go a different path or has always wanted to do their own thing, and I firmly believe people should do what they love, not get yeah. stuck in that trap. And then the DIY girl thing, like you're learning they're learning. You're inspiring people. You might inspire a young girl to try something new That's or an old woman who thought she couldn't do these things and now she is. Yeah. And not every like that has its own value. It has a social value. Yeah. It has a life value. Like I'm sure you won't be mad about it when you're dying and you look back and like, man, I can't believe I didn't make I money. I really off wish of I would have charged admission during yeah. that time. What do you need it for? You have a job. I have a job. That's a thing. You like as long job. as I stop uh, leaving work to attend podcast episodes during work hours, <laughs> I'm sure I'll keep you're my job. It worse. They don't know. Oh, <laughs> I'm kidding. It's actually Saturday. Yeah, today's Saturday, uh, April- August eighth, two thousand fifteen, and yeah. <laughs> 2015, that wasn't an easy year. <laughs> no, that was the year I quit UPS to, to do this full time. And here we are. Yeah. Still worked. That was the year I worked at that big ad agency that I later learned. You hated it. Didn't work <laughs> for me. Yeah. It's, uh, but it's the, risk, it's the risk taking. It's leaving that job. It's moving to a different city. It's trying this endeavor that what if one person showed up to class? Yeah. What if now you have 100 people waiting? Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
which is great. I mean, it says that people are, are interested and you can expand. I mean, and it's even cool that you're getting other people involved to want to teach that. To yeah. go like, oh, I never thought about that. Maybe I will teach people how to change their brakes or their battery or alternator. That's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping people who know these skills and maybe they're small businesses. Um, and I want them to look at it as like, oh, I'm not like teaching my trade that I, I charge for to people because like that's not the reality of it. The reality of it is that, that you are getting your name out there as a small business. Mm-hmm. You are giving back to your community. Mm-hmm. You are teaching them a small segment of really what it is that you do. Yeah. And they're going to remember it, your kindness and your help and that you taught them this. And when it comes to something that is related to what you do, they're going to remember you and they're going to call you up or they're going to bring your, you know, they need an oil change. So they're going to bring their car to Garcia's yeah. or I'm talking to uh, Forge General. It's a clothing store down in Old Town. And we're talking about doing a mending your own clothes, like extending the life of the clothes you already have. Mm-hmm. And that's not going to keep people from buying clothes at Ford's, but it's going to get people in the door and they're going to remember that store is there. They're going to see things there that they want to buy. And so it's helping. It is marketing for local businesses, small businesses, but it's allowing them to use their knowledge and skills to give back. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. I think that I don't care if this never makes money. I think that it's like, it's just that it's important for us to go back to like remembering that we're a community. Yes. We're all in this together. Um, we all share this planet together. Yeah. We got to figure it out together and we got to suffer together. And in a really healthy roundabout way, it is a form of advertising. Like you said, when you do that, because now it could bring people to come back to you later on down the road in many different ways you didn't expect. Yeah. So in a very selfless, non-selfish way, it is a form of advertising. So am I turning you on to advertising now? (laughs) (laughs) It's like I understand what you're doing because I do it in my own way where it wasn't the initial thing at first to like have a music fest that is a charity or do a fest at my old local high school for charity or to do this podcast to raise awareness of different people and different endeavors and people are just doing different things in life. But in many ways, it's brought me income because people find out about these things and they go, oh, we want to record and film here mm-hmm. because of that. So in a weird roundabout way, it brings people in still in avenues I, I was not expecting. And now that I see that, it's like, okay, well, it's like the best way to advertise it. And then it can get dark because the bigger companies use it to their advantage. It's why they do charity work. It's, yeah. And McDonald's is doing charity work. It's because they know like, well, we'll get people in anyway. And now we can look good and yeah. still get people in anyway. How do we look good doing this? Right. So, But if you're your own person, you are by yourself on this endeavor. I'm by myself in my endeavor. It comes from a completely different place. Like I, I have, I sleep just fine at night and I don't have to do these things to sleep fine at night. It, it, it's I enjoy doing them. I enjoy meeting different people and learning from them. Yeah. And what you're doing is great. It's That's why I reached out to you. I thought it was very fascinating. I was wondering why you reached out to me. I was like, what could I possibly, how did I catch his eye? <laughs> why you say what guy? What? You said what guy possibly. What, why, why possibly? Not what? What did I say? <laughs> I thought you said what guy possibly would reach out to me. Well, that too. But I, no, I was wondering, you know, I've seen your other guests and I'm like, well, they all are pretty fascinating bunches. Like <laughs> maybe I have a confidence issue. But. Everybody has said what you have said. Yeah. Like, why am I here? <laughs> I've heard people say it so many times about being on the podcast. And it's like, well, why am I even doing one? Who am I? Yeah. You know, I'm just a person who has met a lot of people and I like talking to people and learning from them. 
giving people a platform for others to learn about them. Mm-hmm. I think it's important. And I think it's important for more women to have more of a voice and platform in a healthier way. Yeah. Instead of just because they uh, were born with good genes, so they look a certain way. Yeah. And that's not really <laughs> healthy. Yeah, not at all. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> what time do you have till? It's 2.51. Oh, I should probably <laughs> go to work. <laughs> I think I have a three o'clock call. <laughs> it's Saturday, though. It's Saturday at... Oh, God. I feel like we up. could probably talk for a lot longer. Yeah. <clears throat> That's okay. I don't want to get fired because... No, we need you so you can still keep do doing DIY, my DIY girl, girl because right? you need the other income to keep doing that. Exactly. <laughs> I need them to pay me. I'll definitely uh, ask you about your husband. His job seems interesting. I'd like to hear yeah. about his story, he too. He does some really cool stuff. That's awesome. Very proud of him. Very cool. Well, Summer... Thank you for talking with me. Thanks for having and, me here and, and making me coffee. Us. You're very welcome. And uh, it was nice to meet you and hear your story. And I'd like to hear more about it someday. Um, but we only had until three today. Yeah. <laughs> Anything you want to plug before we go? Promote? I mean. Advertise? <laughs> I, you know, obviously I want everyone to know about DIY Girl. That's what I'm doing. That's my focus. Um you know, we have a bunch of workshops coming up soon this summer. I uh, really, you know, I'm really excited about it. There's so many different things that we're going to have people be able to learn. So, you know, DIYgirl.com, <laughs> G-R-R-L. Um, yeah, so just, like, check it out and sign up for workshops and find a way to, you know, I think if anything it's, Find a way of making your your impact in your community. I think mm-hmm. even if it's like even if you don't care about what I'm doing, like I don't care. Like, but like I hope it I hope what I'm doing inspires other people to go, like, what is it that I can what are my skills? What is my what are my interests? What is it that I can do to give back to my local community? And then I'd say do it. Just just go for it. Don't wait for like the idea to like fully flesh itself out because definitely like DIY girl is not there yet. Mm-hmm. But here I am. So just just pull the trigger on and go. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you. Um, it was nice to meet you, Summer. Nice to meet you, too. Have a good rest of your day, and I'll talk to you soon. All right. All right, ciao. Bye.